Shalom. Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 123 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we're excited to connect you to people and stories in and relating to Israel to give you a window to look through, experiencing aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topic, any time. Or you can reach us at genesis123.co or follow and like Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay tuned until the end where you're also going to have an opportunity to hear about some exciting offers. And please feel free to share this with other people who you know who will also find it of interest. So today is a very personal conversation. And it's really just basically that, a conversation among friends. And it has two genesises, if you will. Um, I wanted to share a little bit of a little bit of an email that I received in April of 2019. Hi, Jonathan. Thank you for your email. Do you live in Israel or the U.S.? Thinking from a comment you made below that you also live in Israel. Thank you for providing me with background as to who you are and that you know Kay and my family. I'm sure because of the shock and just turning inward after the tragedy, I vaguely remember a memorial, but nothing more than that, honestly. It's kind of you to want to honor my sister, Christine. You said you were an Orthodox Israeli Jew. How did you connect with Christian organizations and write for them? What do you write about? Well, that was the basics of a, of a initial email that I received from our guest today, Kathleen Lucan. Kathleen, as you heard in her own words, is the sister of Christine Lucan. And as you, if you paid attention to what I read from her words, you'll also know that Christine died, that, that we're doing something in honor, the memory of her sister. And the way we, the way this relationship came about is that for many years, I've been good friends with Kay Wilson. Kay was a good friend of uh, Kathleen's sister, Christine. And through another mutual friend, eventually we were introduced. And we'll talk about the details of it, but, but Kay and Christine both experienced a horrible terror attack that took place on December 18th, 2010. Kay survived and Christine didn't. And I've spent a number of years writing about that, uh, been involved with memorials for Christine. In fact, I even feel really deeply like I knew her and I didn't, but I've been that connected. And then we were introduced. I was introduced to Kathleen in April of 2019. And it feels like much longer ago, right? I feel it feels like we're connected for all our lives at this point. And I was introduced to Kathleen and our our relationship started out as a correspondence, as you just heard. Uh, that correspondence, because, uh, because I do a bit of writing and the podcast has come later, became a formal interview process. And that formal interview has had, has been excerpted in various articles. It's deeply personal. 
both the questions that I asked and the responses that Kathleen gave. Most of it's been unpublished to date, though I'm praying for the right opportunity to do so. And the informal correspondence and the formal interviews eventually became a very close friendship. And what was so strange is that it was only this year, only in March of this year, that we actually had the, the opportunity to meet face-to-face. Um, I was doing a, a, a program in Eastern Kentucky, and Kathleen and her husband, Matthew, drove to meet me. And it felt like a reunion. It felt like a really close, familial reunion. Now, I know, Kathleen, you feel the same as I do about the way I feel about you as you about me. But I also know that you probably feel that we'd rather have never, ever known each other. Because unfortunately, what brought us together was the death of your sister. And I want to kind of, at the risk of a spoiler alert, which we're going to talk about, she wasn't just your sister, she was your twin sister. And you don't know anything different because that's how your life with her was. But there's got to be a difference. And uh, when, when your twin sister is killed in a terror attack and, and dies anyway, but specifically as horrific as it was. Um, this is the first time you're having this kind of a conversation. And I told you just to feel that it's a conversation between us because that's all it is. But eventually we're going to be allowing a lot of other people to be listening to it, to be eavesdropping. So Kathleen, I just want to welcome you formally to Inspiration from Zion and thank you sincerely for, for taking part in this conversation that may be very emotional, um, is deeply personal. And I hope we'll, we'll, if anything, if nothing else, just let other people know more about your sister and how wonderful she was. Yeah, thank you, Jonathan, for having me on the podcast today. And I really consider it an opportunity, a privilege, and a really a blessing to be here to share what happened. And of course, very sadly, what happened, but what God has done through it. And that's the, that's the story. Well, that's what I want to get to. And just as you said that, I realized, you know, it wasn't my intention, but the, the, the name of the podcast is Inspiration from Zion. I want to come out with the inspiring things. But for, and, and so maybe let's begin with that. Maybe let's just begin by talking about your sister. Tell us about Christine. Tell us what kind of a woman she was. What, what kind of a girl she was. You grew up together. Um, who, what, what, let, let's start with the, with the beginning. When were you born and who was the oldest? Uh, well, when we were born, my dad didn't know he was having, they were having twins. My dad and mom didn't know they were having twins. So did not know. Shocking. So they had my sister. And then two minutes later, um, there I was. And so wow. he wasn't in the room as I heard, cause it's a bit. <laughs> he thought you were done. <laughs> yeah. I think they say his coffee cup dropped. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, and so I think the, uh, then began the name search. And I think for quite some time we were A and B. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and then they had to do the the you know decide the names and we were actually uh, about a month or so early and then we ended up being the incubator being some uh i guess further in our womb mates in the incubator together so that was the that was the beginning what 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 was what was uh what was uh kathleen like as a you're i always I always do that when i'm writing when i'm leaving you a message <laughs> What was Christine like as a, as a, as a, as a little girl? How did you, two of you get along? 
Um, I think we, we got along really well. I mean, we had our, our fights and the kind of squabbles. I think, uh, let me just say something really quick is uh, one thing she always said, which was so precious, is she always called us woundmates. Woundmates. And, and I thought that was so sweet. And there is that connection, that deep connection, and um, as I guess any twin would be. And um, she was actually, I was, she was probably the more serious one. I was the more playful one. Um, intelligent, loved, uh, I guess as a little girl, we both played soccer and uh, as young girls and played that on through high school. And um, she uh, was very inquisitive and she's courageous and brave and um, playful. We had a lot, I mean, of course you can imagine the things we, we did together as a, uh, we're like one, you know, we just traveled together. We had our, I wouldn't say we had our own language, but we understood, we knew each other very well before kind of like the thoughts you know, you understood each other. And I guess it's almost like a, I will not say a marriage, but it's a, akin to that in a sense, you know, you're, we were together even long before that in the womb. And so there's a knowledge, there's a uh, comfortability, there is a, um, just a presence of being together. We just knew each other so well. So we, well, you're Jeanette, you, you spent nine months as womb mates and, yes. and, uh, and, and also, though, you're genetically, not only genetically related, I mean, you're, the, the, it's, you're genetically related to your brother and your parents as well, but you, your, your genes are w- with, with her were much, much more close and much similar. And what you're saying is very common, what I understand about identical twins, right? Yes, yes. I, I think we just, um, I mean, you, you like to end up liking the same thing. So it's easy to have a companion that enjoys everything you enjoy. And we explored together. My dad was in the military. So she was uh, probably unlike from my brother, which is uh, sadly so. But, you know, we when we moved often, you already had someone there to make the transition to oh. comfortable. So we could talk, we could share. And, you know, there are specific memories about that, but it was just the fact of that you had a traveling companion that knew you, that you had an instant friend. There's always yeah. an best friend. And she was my best friend. And uh, so, yeah, so I think that made all the moving and all the transitions so much easier because we were together. And we Interesting. knew and liked the same things. Interesting. And smoother and easier for both of you. You were both, you were there for one another. Yeah. Wow. I didn't, I never thought of it from that perspective. Yeah. What, what were her passions? You, you mentioned soccer. But uh, yes, we, we got into soccer. She was very good in it. And a funny story is that uh, we both played right and left half when we played soccer. So uh, my dad got us into that. Just uh, we had a lot of energy, a lot of giggles, a lot of energy. And um, it was the way it was an outlet for us. <laughs> and uh, it was just funny on the soccer field as we played from, I don't know, 10, 11 years old through high school that um, people always see when they when you're when you're looking at your opposing team, there was one and there was another and they didn't really realize we were twins. And so that caused a lot of confusion, I guess was good confusion on the soccer field, <laughs> but she was, uh, she was good. She was, a, she was avid hiker. She loved being, we both loved being outdoors. That shit, that's something we shared passionately, um, enjoyed nature, enjoyed life, enjoyed um, all that. And she was um, very inquisitive, very inquisitive, very intelligent, inquisitive, very good with languages. Uh, she had a definitely a, a an aptitude for languages like my dad. And um, so she carried that and she was just inquisitive and smart and courageous, courageous. And I know we'll probably get to that later when, as it relates to her move. Yeah. Um, But you're, it's interesting when you're, when you're speaking about her, you're speaking about her with characteristics that I'm assuming you don't think that you 
possess, like languages. Hmm, yeah. Are you not? Are you not multi talented in, in in languages like she was? No, I'd probably say not. I think I don't know if I have the aptitude aptitude, but I think she was actually. She had more of the aptitude and maybe more of the passion to learn, like to learn Hebrew. She loved, um, she dated a young man when she was in college who was Greek. And so she learned Greek. Wow. Uh, we both took French in high school. So she was, she, we both were pretty good at French, but she actually had, she, um, she used that desire, that aptitude and actually put it to use. I enjoyed, you know, learning French, but she actually really was able to, to quickly pick up Greek and Hebrew. She was actually really good at it. So I would wow. say probably not so much me, but she, I think so much more her. So certain things that are identical aren't always identical. Yes. Yes. And some of those things may come about as, um, as you're trying to be different, you know, sometimes those, uh, some different interests or things get forged as a way to separate yourself, the way to identify yourself. And that's one thing that I think is really hard that people don't really understand about being a twin is that you're always thought of as being one. You know, when my brother would call us over, he'd say, hey, twin, come here or whatever. And, <laughs> you know, and, you know, my dad would kind of get, Chris, Kate, what if you get over here? You know, but I think there's always this um, intense desire to be different, to be unique, not to be thought of as one person, because nobody wants to be thought of as one person. You want to be thought of as we went by Chris and Kate in high school. But one, you want to be known as Chris and Kate and you want to be known as someone different. You didn't always want to be compared. And people had that tendency they probably didn't mean any harm, but it, 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 it did feel a little bit harmful, if I can say it that way. Hurtful, maybe is a better word, that people compared one is this and one's not this. One's more this or, you know, it features physical features and those kind of things or aptitudes or whatever. She was very, she was actually very smart. She took a lot of AP classes in high school and she was smart. Interesting. And, uh, so I think that was, I think sometimes that's the hard part that people don't really realize what it's like to be twins. I think it's fun and it is, yet you spend a lot of time trying to be different so that people see you differently, but they can't. So wherever we would go, it was always like a, and she was more comfortable with it than I was, honestly, but it was always this, um, uh, I wouldn't say you were, you, uh, the right word is not saying that you're um, popular, but when you, whenever you, wherever you went, you always got attention. It was unwanted attention. Uh, so we, we spent so much time together, even in our adult years, that wherever we went, it was like, oh, were you twins? Oh, and, and it's like, as you get older, it gets harder to kind of have this constant conversation. But it um, it, it was hard because you were you feel like not the paparazzi, but, you know, you always you're always on display. You can't hide it. You know, you can't hide being a twin. So you've got all this unwanted attention that you didn't necessarily want. <laughs> that's a twin that's interesting that's interesting yeah. i mean I, I i'll just relate this weekend we have a, a a bar mitzvah coming up of a very very close family friends and their two oldest are identical twin boys I, almost identical one has a mole on his cheek and the, and thank yeah. god one of them grew a beard because and they're men so it's appropriate um that that uh but i i could never tell them apart up right at a distance when you get to know when you're speaking it's easier and these wonderful people our dear friends have five biological children of their own and fostering now how old are they the girls 10 year old twin girls twins who i also who are gorgeous and i can't tell apart and and the twin girls mother 
had another baby and they're fostering that baby to that baby who's now about three as well. Wow. That's so, but, but I'm just relating it. There's a lot of love, but I'm just relating it because I, I can understand how people have a hard time, even among really close friends, sometimes telling uh, yes. twins apart. And you want um, people to, like take, I'm sorry. Um, I was just going to say, you wanted people to take the time to get to know you, just like you take the time uh, to get to know somebody else, do the same. And there's a lot of joy in it. Don't get me wrong. But on that part, it's just you wanted to be seen as an individual like we all do. And and take the time to get to know me. Don't use just physical features. Use characteristics. Use personality. And yes. Yes. Less than each other. But you're just different. And so let's different. Let's let's then pivot to perhaps one of the most uh, perhaps the most important characteristic. You're coming to faith. I know we've discussed this. But you're, you're you're identical twins. You didn't become Christian at the same moment at the same time or two minutes later. Tell us about that. Well, you know, I that may go to her may go to her um, her passion as well. She actually came to Christ and her faith in Yeshua Jesus when we were in high school, and um, it was that faith began to grow. And then she went to college, and we ended up going to the same college. And um, I got a little bit curious, but I do remember coming down a funny story. She came down to my dorm room and uh, and just out of the blue, it kind of like, you know, threw me back. But she said, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to go to hell. And I was like, what? <laughs> so she she actually started that journey. So she she began that journey. And I think and I know through her, my faith and my faith in Yeshua Christ came. But it took a little bit longer for me. And so she, again, I think that go, may go to her, again, to her passion, her passion um, for something she believed in. She used that passion to, to share that with me, albeit, you know, a little bit um, shocking at first. It was still true for me. I believe that. But it's true. She, she actually led me to Christ. And, uh, and so I'm grateful for that. Well, I'm sure when, uh, what a, what a, uh, not a metaphor, what really happened if she came down to your dorm room and actually said that to you're going to go to hell. It wasn't, it wasn't, it, she could say that to you because in a way that only a twin sister can say to one another. Uh, but, but it was out of deep love yeah. and concern. It wasn't, yeah. hey, hey, uh, Kathleen, I'm really frustrated with you. You did something that annoys me. This is this is a this is a the most significant um, thing that one will decide in their life, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. So she was again, again, it's her passion. She displays that passion in whatever she was doing, and um, yeah, she was actually genuinely concerned and out of love. She said this absolutely, and it took me a little longer, sadly. So, <laughs> well, sadly, so God has His time. But um, was there a, do you remember in high school, was there a particular event, trigger, connection with somebody that she had that brought her to faith? Um, not necessarily. I do remember, I think because I guess one characteristic that was different is she was a little bit more shy, a little bit more reserved, a little more serious than I was. So I was a little more of the playful one, the outgoing one. And, um, you know, that kind of gets you into more trouble, we'll say, <laughs> but I think, um, I think that, that, that may have led her to feel a little bit more alone. And I think in that aloneness, 
she, um, someone may have shared or somehow may have come across her. I don't really know that part of it, but she began a search. And I think that, that her search led her to faith in Christ. And then that faith in Christ grew and then began, um, then she shared it with me. So I think it was out of her maybe feeling alone and maybe even feeling sadly left out because I was so more outgoing and more, just more outgoing. And so it made it a little bit easier for me to make friends. She was, like I said, she was a little more serious a little bit more, yeah, serious. Interesting. Okay, let's fast forward. Thank, first of all, thank you for sharing that um, a lot. I mean that. Um, fast forward. Um, we're, we're beyond high school. We're out of college, and you and you alluded to it. At some point, she decides she's going overseas, and you you talked about that. We've spoken about that, but but it wasn't Israel was sadly her final stop, but it wasn't only to Israel. Where, where did that come from when she decided she was going to break out and go go travel a bit? Okay. Um, I guess I could go back and trace it back to a church that we were going, I guess even before a church we started going to, she came into uh, to contact with a friend at work and they talked to her about Jesus being Jewish. And that sounds so uh, like, oh yeah, of course. But I think we don't really think about it. People don't really talk about it. You don't talk about the fact that Jesus is Jewish. He wasn't blonde hair and blue eyed. (laughs) You know, we we get these uh, images, but he had dark hair, dark eyes, and he had dark skin and he was, uh, you know, he was Jewish. And we don't really think about that. And I never thought about that. And she started attending, I don't know, maybe I think it was through, through a friend at work. She started attending a Messianic Jewish congregation where they met on Shabbat and there was Jews and, and Gentiles, I guess we'll call them, who believed in Yeshua, Jesus. And so that she began, she began understanding more about her faith from a, from a Jewish perspective, the Bible, you know, the lands, the people, you don't understand that context. We miss so much of it and about the, um, the feasts and about um, just the, the land again, I say, and just the just the beauty of, of the Jewish faith. That's, that's what it's about, right? I mean, sure. it's about the Jewish faith, but you know what I mean? It's about Jesus was Jewish and, and watching him. He grew up in a Jewish home and he grew up in Jewish parents. And it's beautiful as you, as you start to learn that. So she introduced me to that. And I started going to the Messianic Jewish congregation with her as well. And that's really at that point in time where I actually gave my life to Christ. So I there see. a crisis before that, that made me more open. And then at that point in time, I actually did come to faith in Yeshua and Jesus. And with that, it began a journey. And we actually started journeying together, went to another Messianic Jewish congregation, and ultimately to a church that actually very much incorporated the feasts, uh, all the biblical feasts. We celebrated all the feasts together. We learned about Jesus being his, Jesus was Jewish and about the Bible and the lands, and it was all coming alive. And through that, there was... um, the pastor of the time they're getting ready to go over to Israel. And she, I didn't really feel a passion or really a desire to go over. I just didn't, but she did. And so she went over there and when she came back, she, there was an, um, I guess there was an aliveness. There was a wonder. There was a deep sense that she wanted to go back and she ended up going back and stayed at a kibbutz. And then she went, then it just began a, um, a serious journey of like, how am I going to get to Israel? I feel like God is calling me to Israel. And so she was, it was beautiful. It was, it was just a, again, maybe that's a, a thread there. That's that passion. Yeah. Passion turned on to 
the the Bible, the land of the Bible of the, to the Jewish people, the Jewish faith. And she just loved it in Israel. I can't even express. I mean, when she, I remember her talking about when she was uh, leaving Israel and she cried and she was uh, like, sure. she just looked down. It was just like, this is where I need to be. This is, this is like a home and we can get to that later, but that that's really basically what she said. I mean, so she wanted to be in Israel and, and honestly didn't think that if she could get to Israel, she may never come back home. Wait, say that again. She said there was a time where she said to me that um, she wanted to go to Israel and she didn't know, she didn't believe she'd ever be back home again to the U S. So, wow. Yeah, exactly. exactly. You never told me that you've shaken, you've shaken me up a little bit. That's a little prophetic. It is. It is sadly prophetic. Oof. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I was shocked when I read that. I was like, well, how could you not want to come home? And uh, she, she was so, I guess maybe the right word is smitten. You know, she was smitten with the land of the Bible. She was smitten with Jesus. Sure. She was in love with, with, with Jesus and love with the Bible and love with the lands. It was just impassioned. Wow. I, 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 yeah, you've kind of left me. <laughs> if you, if, we were we were joking before that maybe podcasting will be your your uh, your thing coming up because you've never done this before. But I'm thinking now that you're a, a major league pitcher with a great curveball because I was not I didn't know that and um, it's 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 I think it's touching. I think it's really meaningful. Now I don't I imagine that that probably you're nodding, but that probably was not always the case for you. No, uh, right. It made me kind of sad, but I think she she was really willing, and we could talk about that. I'm no, I'm sure we will. But she was willing to leave everything, and that meant leaving. And I think I wrote that in one of our interview pieces. But she was willing to leave it all, and she did leave it all. She yeah. Her family, her things. I mean, she sold everything, and I'm sure we'll get to that. But she she was sold out. She was sold out to Jesus. She was sold out to the call she believed God had on her life was to go to Israel, to be in Israel, to be immersed in Israel. And her desire was to share Yeshua Jesus with the Jewish people. That was her, that was her, that was her goal. And she, yes. Let's, let's pause the conversation for a minute. And, and I want to just take a quick break and then come back and pick up right where we are. In addition to inspiration from Zion, Another Genesis 123 Foundation program, Run for Zion, is the first program uniquely for Christians centered around the Jerusalem Marathon, creating meaningful and lasting experiences. We look forward to having you be able to join us in person soon, but now are offering you a way to connect from wherever you are in the world through virtual tours, webinars, and briefings. For information or to register, please go to runforzion.com. Join Run for Zion and bless Israel with every step. Okay, so Kathleen, yeah, I, I still, uh, I, wow. Okay, it's just like the, the, more stuff we have to put into our book uh, that I didn't know about. Um, so she did come back to Israel, but I, while you were speaking earlier, I had a thought. What brought her back to Israel, if I'm not mistaken, that last time was a visit in Poland, wasn't it? 
she actually was in she was in the uk we couldn't i don't know if we'll be talking about that but she sold everything in the and in, in moved to the uk to work for cmj the church's ministry among the jewish people and her goal was to get to israel so this was like a uh, a journey to get there to get what she really wanted to do right so she was there and i think through the folks at cmj uk she actually met uh, i guess Kay was doing a um tour to poland yeah. And so went on that tour, they became fast friends, and that's what eventually led her to um, Israel another time. Now, right. And Kay, and Kay is a licensed tour guide and a wonderful person, and and invited invited uh, Christine to come to Israel, and they hit up hit it off. Um, when it, I I had a thought though when you were speaking about twins. And I never, this never occurred to me before. We've never discussed this. The Nazis did some horrible, horrible criminal things to not just 6 million Jews and others who survived and, 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 and tens of other millions of people, but specifically focusing on twins. Uh, uh, Joseph Mengele did all these horrific scientific experiments on on twins many of whom didn't survive or one of whom would survive and one wouldn't did did she ever discuss that with you with did, did she was that in her consciousness in this exploration no i don't know enough that i know of i know when she went to poland and there was a poem that i believe she wrote but there her trip to poland was um gosh uh i didn't understand her I guess I should say I did understand, but I was, um, I don't know what the right word is, overwhelmed at her response of coming back from Poland. She was, when she saw the death camps and she was there and she, the the trip to Poland was um, deeply personal, deeply moving, deeply uh, profound for her. Yeah. And it was all I didn't when she spoke about it when we did because she was already in England at the time um it was almost like not talking to her it was so deep so grievous if that's the right word grievous uh yeah just, just it was it was it was beyond comprehension she was like a different person after that trip and also a different person because of the trip which is great I mean I I don't say great in a in a it's in a, a great and profound way because you got you came close to what the the atrocities the horror yes. Yes. to the Jewish people and I think that may have again in passion that same thread it it um, took her deeper with her love for the Jewish people and I think we both have had love for the Jewish people but it took it deeper the connection became more deep more personal more in passion her love for the people mm. and. Uh, yeah. Having been, having been to Poland, I understand that response. It's a it's a ground shaking. You it, it, you can't. I don't think go to Poland and experience what she did, what I have, and many others have. If you're if you're not really paying attention and not not be changed, not be deeply yeah. changed. Yeah, um, that all of us should go. We need to know. We need to remember what the atrocity, what the atrocities. Yeah. I'm very mixed on that, but that's another conversation um, because it's very, it's been very common for kids in Israel that as part of high school, you go to Poland. Not all of my kids have. 
Um, but but uh, it, it's a very mixed topic. But I was really curious specifically relating to whether she knew, I'm sure she did, but whether that came up, if she ever called you up and said, hey, Kathleen, I just heard about this horrific stuff they did to twins, to Jewish twins, can you imagine? Or, But, but that never came up. Not that I recall, just the okay. perf- profundity. <laughs> Got it. Of being there, of seeing everything and just being there. Got it. Okay, so that, that visit in Poland where she met Kay mm-hmm. ultimately brought her back to Israel for what would unfortunately be the last time. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, one thing that I knew, and I'm glad you mentioned, because to me it's comforting, is you you said you that she liked being outdoors hiking, mm-hmm. and that's and that's what happened on on uh, on on the day she died. She was out hiking in a gorgeous part of Israel. Um, can you talk? Well, I I don't I don't want to make you cry more, <laughs> but can you talk about what happened from from the perspective that you're comfortable? Mm. Would you rather I do it? Me. Okay. So, so stop me and tell me if anything, if anything's wrong. Kay and, uh, Christine, among the things, Kay is a licensed tour guide and they went out on a hike in, uh, in the foothills of the Judean mountains, probably not 20 minutes from where I live. It was a Saturday, right? The Saturday, I understand it was a beautiful Saturday morning and they went out for a hike. And on what's on part of what's called, as I understand, the Israel Trail, which is a very common place that people go hiking. And when they were out there in the woods, they came across two Arab men. Fast forward, we know that they were camped out, that they were waiting. And because of uh, Kay's quick response and defensive mechanisms, Eventually, the, they were able to find the, the terrorists and catch them. And we're going to we're going to come to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately. Ultimately, without getting into the, the horrible details of it, they were both stabbed multiple times. Um, Kay recalls hearing um, Christine crying out for Jesus and and, of course, in suffering. And. Kay somehow, I think if I, uh, I know one of the stab wounds and she was stabbed multiple times and multiple is more than a dozen. And I suspect that was the case with Christine as well. Um, one of the stab wounds, um, missed her heart by just a couple of centimeters and, and otherwise she would have been dead too. And somehow when it was all done and Kay, Kay had played dead, so to speak, the terrorists left. And Kay was able to get up the strain, thinking that she wasn't going to survive, but otherwise they were going to be left out there in the woods by themselves um, and no one would find them. And so Kay somehow miraculously got the strength and uh, to, to, to walk. I don't remember how far, but not a short distance. We're not talking about 10 or 20 yards, but some some distance until she was able to find people and they were able to help her and then and then find Christine. Um, yeah, and that was December 10th, uh, 18th, 2010. Um, I, I, I may have left out some details, 
you, you were, we're seeing each other. So where you're nodding and affirming that what I'm saying is more or less correct. Is there anything that I left out that you want to add that's important? No, I, I, no, not really. No. How did you find out? Hmm. Um, sadly, the, um, the FBI was trying to call me and I didn't know when I, I kept seeing this 202 number come through and it was, it was fairly late at night my time and um i didn't know who it was and i finally picked up and they said they wanted to they wanted to come speak with me personally and i was at our new home and so we um left to come back to um to where we were living living this was on that same day december 18th yes yeah very late i guess my time maybe probably very late your time obviously um yes so I had no idea what the nature of the call was. I found it all very confusing. I didn't know why would they want to come and see me. I had, didn't understand what was happening. They came to my house and um, I remember asking them to see their ID because I just didn't really, oh. I was confused. Like, what is this? Why are you here? I just had no idea, obviously. And so they came in and spoke with me, spoke with my husband and I, and um, they were basically, um, at that point in time, maybe it was, at that point in time, they said that she was missing. And so um, I was overcome with uh, grief and dismay and just didn't understand what was happening. And she had only been over there. I think she was only over there two days before everything happened, if that, if that. So that's how I found out. And then the, then later on, I think, I don't know, it seems like a blur. I'm sorry. But at some point in time, I think maybe later on, they let me know that she had passed away. In that conversation. I think it was later. I'm sorry, but I, it seems like a lifetime ago in some ways. And maybe there's a natural blocking out of. Yeah, of course. The world happened. I remember them being there. I remember them saying that she was missing and not understanding what they were talking about. At some point in time, they did say that she had passed. It may have been later on. I don't know, honestly. Okay. Do you, what was your response? Utter grief, utter dismay, um, just not able to wrap my head my head around it. I didn't understand how this could be. How could this be? And I remember um, just grief stricken and remember in my, I don't know, I guess at that point in time, beginning to try to call family frantically, calling my parents and trying to share that with them. And my husband wanted to do it, but I wanted to talk to him and he was, you know, was trying to help. And uh, I remember not just being upset that I couldn't reach my brothers and, and tell them and, and my mother. And um, how do you share that information? How do you share what happened? How do you, how do you share that? I had no idea how to share that. And um, so the FBI didn't contact them also. No, actually, strangely enough, I guess because I was in the North Virginia, D.C. area, somehow by default, I became the point of contact, reluctant, Mm -hmm. reluctant point of contact, I'll say. And so I became the conduit between them and uh, my family. And yes, sadly. Wow, that's so interesting. And and that's actually bothersome to me because... You know this in America, and and it's certainly the case here. When there's a when there's a death, 
or a murder or something that's suspicious. Often it's not, typically it's not publicized until all the next of kin have been notified. Now that would be typically something that I think authorities would do. Well, I guess it wasn't publicized, but straight, you know, very sad, very sad that very night. And that, I guess I'll go with that frustration. Very sad that first night our neighbor, um, the lady where we were living, um, she actually told me that somehow that the news already found out about it, I guess, because it was overseas, right? Oh, sure. And that somehow she found out, I don't have no idea, but that the newscasts were coming to to our apartment. Oh, dear. And so she encouraged us somewhere. It was a barn apartment living on the lady's farm. Oh, yeah. And so he um, suggested, we actually said, I, I got to get out of the thought of having to talking with anyone. No. So here, just here in the news, suddenly I was having to get up and, and drive two hours to our home because we were at the, we were at the uh, two hours back to West Virginia where we were living full time and um, away from the public eye. So yeah, you're right. Absolutely. How none of my family, I think, barely knew. I barely understood what was going on, yet it was already in the news. And someone, I was getting telephone calls from reporters, which on my cell phone, which I found very disconcerting. Sure. Producing, and the fact that that um, that newscast newscasters are coming to my home on the when it just happened was just unconscionable. Yeah, that's 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 very selfish. Having to flee. Basically, um, um, I didn't know that you had to deal with it like that. Um, when the FBI told you that she had died, did they tell you what, what happened? Not the details, but that it was a terror attack as, or a heart attack or, or that she, she was missing and then she's, was found dead. I think she was missing. I don't think we really understood. I think they were holding back some of the information. I think obviously they knew more than we did because it was already happening over there. There was already, um, news cast that showed them bringing her out yeah yeah so we were we were we were behind it and i guess that's how it all with everything broke being her being american citizen but um i don't know they they, they didn't put that in your face or 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 not that you no no i don't even remember how i found it, it must have been i guess i i'm sure i don't know at I'm some point back to probably a shutting down a mental shutting down a before, I think we spoke a little bit about that at one point in time, like a PTSD. It just was just sure, yeah. Um, you know, not a real PTSD. I guess like some people feel, but for me, it felt like that. Just being scared of the terrorists, being scared of them, being in my home. Uh, it, it seems unreasonable or seems silly, but at, at those moments, it wasn't. And I just didn't understand what had happened. She, I well. She talked about going over there, and I said, I'm not sure if we've spoken about this. She talked about going over there, but I didn't know she was going. Oh, huh. you so thought she, she was still in UK? Gushing about it, but then all of a sudden she was there, and I remember trying to. I think I received a text from her saying that she was on the airplane, and I sent a text back to her, and I said, you know, please be careful. I love you. Please be careful. And I don't know whether she ever received that text. There was a news report that just came out today. Um, I read it in the English news here that Israel is the fifth safest country for tourists in the world. How do you feel about that? I, um, <laughs> I, uh, I find it a little bit 
maybe a bit confusing to hear that or a bit like maybe disbelieving. Right. Nah, come on, Jonathan. You're kidding me, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I find that kind of hard to believe when you hear, you know, there's so much news reports about bombings and things happening. And yeah, it seems like it wouldn't be safe. It does. And maybe that's the news, but it seems um, unsafe and just kind of an unknown. Something we don't have that much here happening like that, except for 9 11, right? Um, such a such an instantaneous terror attack, but we don't have that experience, correct? It made it more difficult learning about this over about my sister and about the bombings and just these haphazard, horrific things happening to people. Well, (laughs) you're right, but on my last trip to the states, I ended up in northern Virginia. And the day or two with the, before I left, there had just been a shooting in a Walmart with a bunch of people killed. So, and, and I don't know, even know if those make national news because there's shootings every day in America that if you're, you know, if I, it wasn't that far from where I had been. And if I had gone into Walmart instead of Target or, or wow. who knows if I'd have been in the wrong place. Wow. So, Absolutely. Yeah, I think. I guess we don't really think about it happening to us, maybe. And we don't. And I guess when I think of being in Israel is so sadly to, to a race of people, beautiful people, to Jewish people, that it just, it's, it's just trying to, this constant attempt to, to annihilate. And it's, well, it's confusing. It's, and, it's, and, and for you, having never been here yet, yes. it, there's, there has to be an association with yeah. Israel, not just of the land of the Bible and a beautiful people and history, but it's also the place where your sister was murdered. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it wasn't just a random murder. Like, so it wasn't, she, she wasn't just walking around the South side of Chicago. It was yeah. very deliberate. And, very, and that's very personal, very yeah. personal, very deliberate, very horrific. That to two women. Why would you, I mean, what cowards? I don't even, there's no words to describe the, animals i mean how could you do that to two women i don't know well to two human beings yeah that that's it's inhuman it's inhuman yeah. what they did it is inhuman it's um, very calculated very it's beyond comprehension to right. want to help people absolutely in that manner you know right and, and it bears it's worth repeating that these guys didn't just stumble upon them they weren't in the they weren't, it didn't just that they didn't come, happen to be together. They were waiting for somebody. They were camped out overnight waiting for somebody. Like prey, like you're looking for prey. It's like animals. You're, you're waiting to hunt people. You And that, that type of mentality is the farthest that I can ever, there's nothing I can, I can't relate to it. I can't put my hand on it. I no. can't, there's nothing I can do. And and I think the Jewish people, sadly, have been preyed, have been hunted. Correct. And so there's sadly a knowledge that you have that, that we don't have. And that's a sad knowledge, but it's incomprehensible that you would do that to people. Like it is incomprehensible. And when you and by the way, when we you refer to them as animals, the irony is I think in the animal world, there are no other there's no other species that does that to other animals. They hunt, they kill for food, but they're but they're not they're not you don't see you don't see um i don't know lions or or elephants or dogs just just unless they're rabid 
they're not just attacking another animal or human being. That, that like, doesn't exist. Right. The torture, the waiting, you know, there's things that I, you know, I tried not to learn too much about it because yeah. my heart couldn't handle that information. Correct. I try to keep a lot of that at bay and end up learning more than I wanted to learn inadvertently, yeah. accidentally. And it, it hurt my heart and you can't get those images out. You can't get those words out. You can't, I know. There's no there's, there's, there's no removal. Yeah, I know that. And, and, and I've, and I've learned from our conversations that they're even trigger words and phrases that, that can be upsetting and, and it wouldn't even be in my mind to think of those things. Right. But he does um, bring healing that through, through my relationship with Jesus, Yeshua, he did, he can heal memories. There's, uh, they're not, they're not sealed and seared, but he can heal those memories and those scars can be, become a testimony over time. Just like scars take time to heal, the scar in my heart took time to heal. And now it's a, it's a testimony. It doesn't mean I'm not on a journey, but it's, but um, it doesn't define me. It's not the end of my story. Good, good. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I want to take another uh, quick break, um, Kathleen, and then come right back and pick up the story. I want to pause in the conversation for just a moment to invite you to join us in one of the really incredible programs that we do as part of the Genesis 123 Foundation. This year, we have been going out all throughout the Judean mountains to show love to soldiers who are stationed keeping us safe from the threat of terrorism. It doesn't matter if we're in a burning heat wave or temperatures below freezing before the wind chill. They are out there guarding strategic points that have a high risk of terrorism. And thanks to the support of many people like you, we are pleased to bring them homemade hot soup in the cold of winter and cold drinks and sweet watermelon in the heat of summer. Any donation is meaningful and helps us to bless the soldiers. You can join us and donate at genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. That's genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. And when you do, you also have the opportunity to send along your own personal words of thanks and blessings to the soldiers guarding the land and protecting the people. Please join us. You, you, found out that your sister had been murdered here um eventually that it was a terror attack I, however that unfolded and it's interesting to me it's appropriately interesting that you don't even remember all of those details and that's good that was a that was a tremendous trauma but i remember we talked about the whole additional trauma just in terms of getting her body back to america mm-hmm. can you relate some of that um, yes, I, I think, of course, this was on December 18th and the thought of it being that time, this time of year, a week before Christmas and, um, just the, I guess, I don't know, I've never been involved in anything like that before. This is like the first, I guess, just a caveat by saying this is the first time in my life that I lost someone and that someone was my identical twin sister and in this manner. So I really hadn't dealt surprisingly so with 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 death and so that kind of blow made everything even more complicated for me more confusing more what do I do I haven't been involved in any of this before but I remember um and you may not know this but uh um my dad wanted to my sister to reside there in Israel 
I didn't know that, no. Yeah, he, he wanted her, um, he thought he would like to have had her buried there in Israel. And um, I I was uh, completely opposed to that. I was, uh, I wondered her, not because it was, maybe because it was Israel at the time, because of what happened. Yeah. It was the Jewish people's fault. Sadly, I mean, not sadly, but obviously not that. But um, I just wanted her home. I wanted her to be with me. I guess there was a, there was a, she's mine. She's, yeah. That's my sister. You can't have her in the land anywhere. I want her home and protected. Yeah. I don't know how to, what, what, what words to say, but it became very difficult. And I guess there was a lot of things going on behind the scenes in terms of um, the capture of the, of the terrorists and um, all that they needed to do, sadly, with respect to her as being part of the investigation, if that makes sense. I'm trying to, I'm trying to use careful words. I didn't really want, I guess we'll say autopsy and those kind of things. And um, anyway, there was a delay there and we wanted her home. And I remember, I don't, um, remember getting some help to bring her home. And um, that's how it, it ended up happening. And then but it took home. a while. It, it took... took Yes, it took a while. Yes, it took, I think it was even, I would even say, you know, I feel embarrassed to say, but sometimes these details just evade me and made this a protective mechanism. But um, I think it was toward, it was after Christmas, late in December that she was brought home. And we, because the service was like on the first, we we, um, buried her on the 2nd of January. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Because you, you and I, wrote about that in our interviews, uh, that, that Christmas that year was particularly hard. And I think you spoke about even just sort of being a shell, uh, ho- uh, hollow at, you went to church, but that was, that was not a good experience. No, it was not, not, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. You, you alluded to the trial, to the, to the, to the investigation. And I want to speak about a few different trials. First of all, the trial of bringing the terrorists to justice. You didn't come here for that. I think your father did, right? Yes. Uh, My dad and my mother came and um, there are some some complications that I decided for, we'll say the main complication, at least in my personal mind, was being there. The thought of seeing these, it was so fresh. The thought of seeing these men was beyond comprehension. I couldn't even imagine seeing them face to face. I didn't want to be there. Um, thank God they went. That was just something I couldn't do. I was dealing with um, trying to bring her home, trying to um, prepare for a funeral, which I've never done before, trying to decide very sadly, like what she would wear. I mean, those are, those are oh. things that would be buried. And there's so many things that fell to me because I, I did want her to be buried where we were living at the time. And um that was probably the right thing to do. I don't know. But um, those are details that I I didn't understand what to do. I, I've never experienced that before. But on a, I will just share on a beautiful note, um, you know, I decided to bury her in a wedding dress. And she was longing to meet her earthly husband, her Boaz. Yeah. And um, she was now going to meet her eternal Boaz. Uh-huh. And so she was buried in a wedding dress. And I gave her my veil. And, um, so yeah, I wish I would have saved my wedding dress, but I didn't, but that was, those are details and things that's very, very personal, but you know, whether someone thinks that's weird or not, but she was meeting her eternal Boaz, Jesus, who she was yeah. forever. What you're, I remember, if I remember correctly, your father 
at the trial made a victim impact statement to the court. Um, I, I don't remember the details of that. So it's probably on record somewhere. I'm sure it is. And I'll look for it. And maybe if anyone wants to contact me, we can provide that information. Um, were you, when they were here, following the trial, did you touch bases with them? Or did you just sit, you, you went about your business? I absolutely, yes. I, I didn't even know. I didn't, I didn't think you could watch it. Didn't want to watch it. Didn't really, I think I was just overcome with, with grief at that time and didn't want to participate if that sounds right. I, I don't think I could have. Emotional was not at a place where I could have um, participated. I don't even know how they went. That's beyond. And now, and on the victim impact statement, I think I remember telling you, and I, I pray I have it right, is, um, is I understand that they didn't have a English translator in the room. Yes, you did tell me that. That was particularly my dad, upsetting. My dad gave an impact statement and there was no one there to translate it. And I think, um, and I think then, I guess then they, they had another, they had somebody come in, maybe someone, I don't know if it was Kay's friend that was there. Um, but anyway, I, I believe Kay was there. I don't even know. But um, they, my dad tried to redo it. And so you're asking a father in extreme grief. Horrible. Over, two weeks later, two and a half weeks later, given an, an impact statement and um, there's no one to translate. So here wow. you are speaking with grief and there's no one there to translate. So these men could hear what they did to my sister, the grief and the impact on my family. And maybe that wouldn't have made a difference. I don't think it would. Cause I think the consciences are seared. I think they're, they're, they are in, I don't know what to say, but, uh, but there was no one there. Yeah. That's a big fail of the Israel, Israel justice system, a in general and B because typically we handle the aftermath of terror pretty well and and the families are well cared for and that i've never heard of something like that but that never should have happened um, but the, what they did with the i guess it's the in what is the the the, uh, the ones who did the investigation the shin bet the secret Shinbet. service yes they're the one i mean they brought these those two men to they they came they brought him into justice i think maybe a day and a half two days after so it it was fast so they so, did an incredible job so okay you just used the word incredible how do you feel about that the fact that they they did they they were found they were tried it's a, it's a not for now but another story and people want to ask me they can be in touch with us at inspiration from zion at gmail.com about how it was that they were found um, and it wasn't just, it wasn't just solving your sister's murder, but another murder that they had, had perpetrated as well. How did you feel about the, the, the sentence eventually? Oh, absolutely. Extremely, extremely grateful. I, I think there's a part of me. Yeah. I'm grateful that by the grace of God, I pray they're in, they're in prison for life. And I hope there's no chances I hear sometimes of, of people being released, which would be I can't even, there's no words to express the horror it would be to have for these men to ever be released. But the, um, I was happy they would be in jail for life, never to come out. And that's, and I guess I gave them multiple sentences. So yes. the, the, the work that the Shin Bet did, 
um, due to probably what Kay, Kay's ability to um, bring some evidence forward. And I guess that's how they found them out. And, um, and how, how quick it was is beyond, compre beyond comprehension. It was um, a relief. Yeah, part of me, even at that time, while that was incredible, part of me at that time just was so still overcome with grief that they were kind of a byword to me. And I don't mean that in a, in a strange way, but I was so overcome with grief that I, she was gone. And while I was so angry and hurt at them, I was just still consumed with the grief of loss of my sister. That yes, was of course. Mind. Of course, that's, that all makes sense. How, well, among the trials, you had a trial in your own faith. Um, can you talk about that? Yes, I actually, if you don't mind, I'd like to interject one thing is my brother, actually, my parents did not go over for the sentencing. My okay. brother, my brother Dean went over there for the sentencing. And again, that's something I could never have done. There's, there's nothing in me that wanted to go. I, I couldn't stand the thought of being in the same room with these, with these men. And, um, I've seen just a little bit of an of interview that he had when I guess they interviewed him outside the courthouse or courtroom, if that's the right word for there. But anyway, he talked. I remember my brother talking that these men, and unlike our courtrooms, it seems a little bit different. These men were like six feet from him. I mean, they were, their, their faces were, were so close. And he, he, I mean, he's never been in a courtroom like that. And oh, dear. But, uh, but to have the men that close was, I know it, it took everything in him not to probably explode a rage and um i just uh, so that was just one thing i remember him telling me just the closest and that's not something we typically see in our in our courtrooms at least i believe but um it was just really shocking and disturbing to him thank you for sharing that yeah um yes yeah, so i guess going back to your question about a trial of faith um, yeah oh I, I think i can't even um there's an, yeah a trial is probably a crisis of faith is probably more the right word for me okay. of faith um i was beyond um beyond uh confused beyond understanding how the god of the universe uh the the man and the god that we love both of us yeshua jesus we trusted in him and and we I didn't understand how he could let her down. I didn't understand how he could let this happen. I think that was, that was my, just my, my cry, my, my deep anguish was how could he let it, how could he let it happen? How could he, how could he not intervene? He, I mean, he, he could do anything. We, we know that we believe that and Kay survived. And that's a whole, that was another crisis of the faith. Not that, it, not that she, Shouldn't have survived by the grace. Right, but why Kay and not your sister? And why not both of them? Yeah, yeah, both. How could it be that he that he didn't intervene? So that was a real crisis of my faith, and a real, um, to be extremely honest, extremely anger producing. I don't think I could have. I did. I, I shut down at that point in time. My my fist was in the air. And I was so angry and I demanded answers. I wanted to answer like, why didn't you intervene? Why didn't you intervene? And, and um, I think as a long and short of over, over a period of time, I had to take my fist down that the anger, the dismay, the demanding of answers 
didn't produce a result. And we can, it's kind of funny, you know, I, mean, I guess like Job, Job was demanding answers, right? <laughs> God spoke and he put his hand over his mouth, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get the answer. I didn't get, why didn't you intervene? And that's a, a mystery that will always be. I'll never understand that. I know he's sovereign and he's in control. And I know that um, God is with her. And I remember praying and I almost, and we've, I don't think I've ever shared this with you, but I remember praying and I almost couldn't even open my mouth to pray. Ah. I, I couldn't even, I really couldn't open my mouth. And I remember just being so, just so upset, so angry, so hurting. And so there's no words to describe how I was feeling. I remember asking God, why didn't you intervene? And, and I know she was in pain and I know he was there intellectually. And in my spirit and my spirit, as I prayed, I heard God say to me in my spirit, I was, she suffered, but I was with her. And at that point in time, I, my, my mind, my heart sadly fixated on the suffering part. When you hear, we know that was true, extreme suffering, which is so hard to comprehend and so just beyond words. But to hear, to hear what I heard God say, even it was, it was true, but to hear the God of the universe speak to my spirit and say, yes. suffered was, my God, you're corroborating what I know. And now God is saying that, there's no, the fact that he said he was with her didn't matter. It didn't matter to me. And again, that, that produced such a, sadly produced such an anger, such a turning inward. I couldn't, re, I couldn't get to the rest. I don't know if that makes sense, but that it was, makes a lot of sense. So the next uh, question is, where did, where did you, what was the trigger that helped you uh, resolve the crisis? I mean, or, or, or are, do you, are you still, living in crisis no I, w- I wouldn't say i'm living in crisis um at all crisis of faith yeah the crisis of faith has ended but i will say um that was a journey but i remember a friend of mine um nina i was back at work and i had to go to back through work two weeks after everything happened which i was oh, very gosh. distressing uh, distressed about that and i knew i had to and that's kind of another long story, but going back into work and work and trying to function and focus and, you know, it was very difficult. But uh, remember one time we were talking and you know, like, and I've expressed her faith in Jesus, Yeshua, and we're, we're talking in the hallway in a stairwell at work. And she said, uh, I was like, he didn't love her. And she Nina looked at me and she was um, emphatic. Um, I don't know. I don't know how do you describe the words. I keep saying that I'm sorry, but she was like, "Don't you ever say that? Don't you ever say that God didn't love her?" And it it it, it jolted me. It shook me in a way that I could that that helped me. It started to kind of it's like maybe a, a hinge or something has been moved a long time. I was frozen. Wow. And I, and I dared at that time to say he didn't love her. Wow. He didn't love her. And, but that, but again, you still, you don't get the answer that you want, right? Why didn't you intervene? But that, but that was one thing that really helped me. And I remember my husband saying one time, uh, um, later, a little bit later on that, uh, that, um, that, that Jesus was on the cross and God lost his own son and there was, and so he was murdered. We don't often use those words. We say that he died. He was crucified on the cross. Well, let's get to the real word. No, that was a murder. 
was a murder. And he was pierced the same way your sister was. Yes. And so that actually kind of, uh, kind of jolted me and actually, um, helped me. And there's a scripture that I, that, um, I just want to note it, you know, Jesus isn't a high priest who doesn't sympathize with our weaknesses. So he, he understood what it was. He understood, understands what it means to be betrayed, to be murdered, to forgive from the cross. Father, forgive them for not what they do. And I was already in that process of forgiving them at that time. And I do forgive them. That doesn't make it okay, but I do forgive them. They don't know what they were doing. They're enraged and they're uh, full of hatred and, and so they don't know what they're doing, but I have to, but it's up to me to forgive. That, that's not a light thing, but it's like Corey Tenboom, when she reached her hand out when that, then the Nazi guard came that, that killed her sister. She reached, she, she could reach out her hand and she asked and she prayed and asked God to help her reach out her hand. And she was able to reach out her hand because he wanted to shake her hand. So it's, it's, we have to forgive. Otherwise I'll be, I'll be in prison. I'll be full of poison. And I'll die in the pre- and they go on whether they care or not. But um, Kathleen, I want to take another break. Uh, we're we're uh, going into overtime, which is great. <laughs> uh, but I want to take a break and then I want to come back and, and 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 perhaps begin. I think I want to begin to wrap up. But as I say, begin to wrap up, I realize that no matter where we conclude and how long we go, I don't know that we're necessarily going to do justice to either your sister's memory or what you have gone through and are going and, and, and continue in your life. But let's take a break and come back. If you're like most people in the world, you know about the Holocaust, but never met, much less interacted with the Holocaust survivor or heard their stories of suffering and survival. With the remaining elderly survivors dying at an unprecedented pace, in less than a generation, there will be none alive. Yet, while they did survive, and for that we need to celebrate them, Many still suffer trauma from their youth. As they age, they have increasing needs. And living on fixed incomes, sometimes with no pension, things as simple and essential as basic foods, heating in the winter, medicine, and inflation can push someone over the line from surviving to struggling again. It can create stress in their lives that reminds them of the suffering they endured as young people. It's just not acceptable that anyone who suffered as much, should struggle with basic needs or any undue stress in their twilight years. I want to invite you to join the Genesis 123 Foundation to bless the survivors. Yes, we pray that you'll donate personally and do so generously. And when you do, we also give you the opportunity to send your personal blessings and words of encouragement to the survivors themselves to brighten their day and let them feel your love. Having been privileged to provide financial resources to help survivors on a day-to-day basis, I know it makes a difference and is very appreciated. But your personal note that we translate into Hebrew, Russian, or Yiddish really makes them smile and warms their heart. I pray you'll join us by going to genesis123.co slash hug a survivor. That's genesis123.co slash hug a survivor, and please share this with others. We can't undo the suffering that they endured, and there's no limit to what the needs are, but we can never do too much to comfort them in their final years. Please join us. God bless you. There was something that you said a few minutes ago. 
I don't remember what it was. Certainly when you're talking about the failure of the judicial system here and not having a translator, and there was something else, and I don't remember what it was, that underscored to me what we've discussed previously, that while in Israel, there is a, for lack of another word, a culture, a community of families of victims, victims themselves, people who didn't die, but but have suffered and, and the, their families. And that's, and they're known and, and there's an understanding and people know and, and you get on with your life, but there's a, it's like you walk around with an asterisk next to you, an invisible, like a Charlie Brown bubble over your head. People know, and, and, and there's a, there's an element of uh, understanding of sympathy. You're not part of that. Um, there's not, there, there are, there have been other, Americans who who have been killed here in terror attacks, um, some who are Christian, not many, but there isn't a culture. There, there's not a the the Israel has not either extended itself to you and your family, nor is there a community of should we call it American victims of terror in Israel. Mm-hmm. The same way you don't know anything different from losing a twin sister as compared to a sister, you don't know anything different because you haven't had that. But what do you feel is missing? Is it, what do you think Israel should do? Could Israel do? And what's missing? Um, I'm not sure what Israel could do. I guess maybe there could be a reaching out, but I, but I guess more, I guess for me, more importantly, um, there's no framework here for that. There's no, community for that I didn't ask to be in this club and like you say asterisk I almost feel like I have an M on me who I mean I almost couldn't even use the word murder and early I could and then later on it was loathsome yeah. but I didn't want to be part of this club this club if I can say that loosely yet I was part of this club reluctantly but it was a lonely club there's nobody there I didn't know of anybody else in the club I remember doing remember looking uh, on occasions years back and tr- years ago and trying to find other people who may have passed away and wanting to connect with these people because who there's no one who understands what I went through. So it was extremely lonely not having someone to, 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 to empathize and sympathize in a way um, that I see in Israel with the, with the community. When, so when people lose people, they, they, as I, you shared with me, just how they come around the people, there is a, a community there's a, there's a being known that um you're not alone and i think we did we don't have that here and and that's sad um to say and um i wish there would have been i didn't i didn't have that support network i didn't have any family close by which was extremely problematic i had i was no longer part of a church i've been part of for a really long time and I'd have been married for 11 months when everything happened, a brand new marriage. So there are so many, so many things that left me vulnerable, that left me alone. And the church, um, it's kind of an indictment against the church. I think it's an honest one. And I think that needs to be embraced as there isn't a, the church didn't, didn't embrace me, didn't come around me and help me in a way that I need to be helped to come alongside, you know, um, in the scriptures that talks about, uh, in uh, Romans 12, 5, I'll weep with those who weep. And I didn't have that coming alongside that I would see that, um, that that happens in Israel. I didn't have that. So again, it was just very lonely and I didn't know how to process it. I didn't know how to even, to be extremely honest, I didn't know how to process it authentically as a Christian. Uh. So 
as a one in my faith, it was my sister and I were the ones were Christians in our family. How do you, how do you express your doubt in God? How do you express your, your dismay, your anger at God? Wow. So as we kind of look against that, you know, can't be angry at God. Well, Job was, you know, there, we, we, we can be, but there, there's not a letting, letting people, allowing people, embracing that it's okay to be angry. It's okay to, to grieve. It's okay to um, not be okay. Yes. So I think that's a lot that was with, with, uh, that I experienced. And there's just, there wasn't a, um, in the church, you know, the, the, there's, the scriptures are replete with scriptures about suffering. You know, one that I remember is in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Jesus says, I have overcome the world and he's a high priest. And there's all these scriptures that talk about suffering, but it's not spoken from the pulpit. And so people don't understand that we're very unprepared in this Western culture for persecution, very unprepared um, for suffering, and we don't know what to do with it. So that that crisis of faith, Correct. of being alone and not knowing how to talk about my my yeah. grief, talk about the my um, crisis of faith. What was I going to do? Because that would make me appear to not be trusting God. And so that again that left me. Not only was I physically isolated. But then I was now, um, how was I going to talk about this? How, how was I going to do this? Yeah, you're right. You're a hundred percent. We've talked about this, that, that Western culture doesn't handle that well. I remember you telling me at one point, I don't remember it was in these words, but someone sort of said to you at one point really early on, you just needed to get over it. And, and oh, he needed her, he needed her. But the other thing, well, that, but by the way, so it, it, what's interesting is in Jewish culture, there's a very regimented mourning process. And that's quite helpful, actually, in, in, in taking us through grief and anger and all the other emotions that go with loss. And what I've noticed in my years working with Christians is that you typically don't have that framework. And that's, that's hard because there'll be a celebration of life, but there's not necessarily a process to help get through the grief. And I may be wrong. And if I'm wrong about that, I certainly accept the being wrong. Um, but it's, but it, there is a difference. And that's, I, I, I mention it because we, you and I, and you and the Jewish people and the state of Israel are uniquely bound, but also because I think it underscores in my work, building bridges between Jews and Christians, there's a lot that we as Jews can and should learn from Christians, but quite uh, th- that you know, and your sister knew, there's a lot of, there's a lot of Judaism that, that Christians need to embrace. Process. That process that you said would have been so helpful to walk with me. Yeah. Walk yeah. With me that process helped me do something I've never done before and grieve. You know, actually, I, I, don't, I think I shared with you, I must have, right after we met that first time, I came back to Israel. There had been a Christian Arab Israeli policeman who was mm-hmm. killed in a terror attack. And I got home on Thursday and the following Sunday, I went up to Nazareth to visit the family that they were still in the midst of formal mourning. And I was mourning with them. I spent hours with them, getting to know almost all of the family members and trying to be a comfort to them. 
But I was so proud for our country that we stepped up and provided this infrastructure and framework for a Christian Arab Israeli policeman who was killed heroically in a terror attack. Um, we did right then. And I, and I still have not gotten the answer. I don't yet have the answer as to what we've not done right vis-a-vis you. And I suspect it's, it's a, a, about other victims of terror here who don't live here and are probably have fallen through the cracks. And I, it may, may, maybe something positive will come of this conversation in that. Sure. I don't think there's anything that they didn't, that you all didn't do. I don't know if there, I don't know at this point in time, what you could, could have been done. I don't feel left out per se by the, by, by Israel. It's more being not embraced here. And how do I, how do I grieve here? But it'd be wonderful to have some kind of connection mm-hmm. with, with those who had experienced what I experienced because it's not a, camaraderie isn't the right word, but to have, to be able to connect with someone who knows what I walked through would be uh, incredible. I'm going to make sure that this conversation is shared with people in the, in the foreign ministry, because honestly, one takeaway for me is that the, you don't live that far from the uh, Israeli embassy in Washington. Every time they do a Memorial Day event, you should be invited. You should be, you should be an honored, an honored guest, you and all your family and, and all the family members of victims. And it'd be even nice to maybe if someone over in Israel who speaks English might be able to, who's experienced a act of terror that they might be able to help me understand what they went through. And uh-huh. yeah. Okay. All right. We have two, we have two takeaways. Yeah. All right. Let, 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 let's as much as this could go on for, 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 for many, many, many more hours as our, as our written communications and interviews have gone on for many, many, many pages. I do want to begin to wrap up and I want to talk about something that sadly uh, terror ex- exists here. There's there, there were people killed in a terror attack here recently. There was a very well, well-planned, you know, I say in quotes, well-planned bombing two two almost simultaneous bombings that took place not long ago um, in Jerusalem. A- and these are inhuman. But more than inhuman, or, or as much as they're inhuman, they're encouraged among the Palestinian Arab society. We've discussed that. Mostly, I think, rooted in Islam, but maybe not necessarily all. And the Palestinian Authority, which is the governing body for most of the Palestinian Arab communities, Still have, they, they have a law. We've discussed this. They have a law that provides stipends for terrorists for the rest of their lives. And the worse, the, the worse crime they commit, the more money they get. Um, it's called, we call it pay the slay. There was another Christian American, uh, um, Taylor Force. Taylor Force. Thank you. Yeah. I met his parents. Um, Taylor Force, and there's a American law that preceded the Israeli law called the Taylor Force Act to stop funding the Palestinian Authority if they're going to give money to terrorists. It's un, it's unthinkable that they're giving people essentially a pension as if they've done a noble thing in their, and this is the, the highlight of their career. Career. <laughs> it, it, right. They're, they're getting paid for doing something that's, 
that they can that their that their community this considers noble, honorable. What do you think about all that? I never heard about anything about that at all until Kay brought it up to me. And I was ignorant, had no idea, and it was appalling, atrocious, uh, unimaginable that um, they'd be paid. And any funds for any money going over there would go towards that and how that couldn't be stopped. I thought that was just, I'd never heard of such a thing before. And it's hurtful. It's, um, gosh, that was my sister and someone's getting paid that they killed her. It's, it's. Yeah, these guys are sitting in jail and they receive a monthly, a monthly salary. Family's okay. They're doing okay. Their monies are going to their family or that's uh, it's insane there, there it's it's irrational there's i don't think there's any words to describe how absurd it is and how hurtful that is to the families of victims that they would you're just inciting terror you're encouraging terror it starts from childhood on and you're just bathed in it and it becomes who they are and they can do that without a thought and i don't know whether it's a mentality of the people and um i don't know how that gets um like bread in and how that's okay. If I can use those words, I don't know how that's okay. Well, it's, it's not okay. It's not okay. That's the thing. And that's why, and that's why the U S Congress passed the Taylor force act. But unfortunately the U S has not been upholding its own law. There's still funding going to the Palestinian authority. And even though someone may say, well, it's not going for this, it's going for that money is fungible. And especially in a, in a society that's not only corrupt like that, but financially corrupt, you're, 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 Money, money is siphoned off for whatever they want to use it for. Yeah, it's going right back to where they want it to be used for, just to continue to incite the hatred and the terror, which will never end. It's a sick cycle. It's an insane cycle. Did any U.S. government civic official ever have a conversation with you or your family about this whole idea of the government funding? Or did anyone ever say, hey, Kathleen, we want to use you as our poster child? for a campaign to end funding to the Palestinian Authority? Not a, not a, not a U.S. civic official, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But uh, Inamar Marcus of PWA Palestinian Media Watch has been doing a lot of work to try to help um, stave that, stop that. And he's been tireless and he's working tirelessly to try to make that so, to end that. It's 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 kind of unimaginable to me because there aren't that many. Even going back 25 years, 30 years, there aren't that many American victims of terror who, you know, there are Amer- there are Israeli citizens who are dual citizens, right. and and were killed here in some act of terror. There are very few, maybe two handfuls, I don't know, of American citizens who did not have Israeli citizenship, Jewish, Christian, or otherwise. And it seems kind of shocking to me that no one's ever, ever thought that, hey, this Palestinian Authority law, it's not just a budget, it's not just a line item in the budget, it's actually in their law. No one ever said we need to fight that. And you and you, you, Kathleen, specifically, and others like you who are who are family members of victims um, have not been 
brought into that conversation. I'm disappointed by that. It is disappointing that, yes, that they would, with a, such a small number, and maybe that's the very reason it's a small number. Yeah. We're not rising to the, sadly, to the surface that you'd want to stop something that you're fully capable of stopping, stopping and able, able to enforce to stop that. Well, I'm going to ask everyone listening to this, especially in the U.S., to go take a moment, take a link, find their congressperson or senator's website and send it and have people listen because it's not, first of all, it's wrong and it's unconscionable that your sister's murderers are sitting in jail receiving a pension for the rest of their lives. And it's, and it, it's not just unconscionable, but it continues to um, um, feed that terror culture, which makes it, which makes them think that it's okay to keep murdering us, that there's going to be not only that it's going to be honored and celebrated, but there's going to be something in it for them financially too. The worst they do, it's like getting a bonus for having done a good job. It's just, you know, it's the year end. People are looking at their year end bonuses for their actual jobs. Yeah. This is, this is some, uh, it, it, it's, I it's very disturbing. It's raised uh, to the attention that it's listened to. And these are real people. We're not just on the news. I remember, you know, people seeing my sister on the news and, you know, it's just, I, I look at news differently now, you know, and it's, and, and especially uh. what we're speaking about right now, it's, um, that's somebody. So Congress can understand that's somebody. That could be your daughter. That could be your son. Taylor Force could have been your son. Why don't you care about the horror? Why don't you care about the horror and change something that you have the power to change? Yes. Change what's in your lane and you have the ability to do. Yeah. Excellent. Um, I have one more question, but I'm going to leave the last thoughts to you. Um, has anything good come out of uh, Christine's murder? I would say, are you sure? Uh, I would say the biggest thing that came out of that is um, is my going through the crisis of faith and the strength of my faith. Now, it doesn't mean it was easy. doesn't mean the journey back to my faith in Jesus was easy. He held on to me when I let go of him. He, we know about the poem, Footprints in the Sand, that many people re- read but he carried me and had he not carried me, I wouldn't have, I don't know where I would have been, but he brought me back. He wooed me back. And so that's, there's a strengthening of my faith that happened, <clears throat> excuse me, by default, by default. So I'm grateful for that strengthening. Doesn't mean it's obviously it's not okay, but I'm, I'm not defined by it. My story doesn't end, but now I'm strengthened. There's a, there's a passion. There's a strength in my faith, faith in Jesus that wouldn't have been. And that's not the way to get it, obviously, but God works all things together for good. So that's one big thing. I think the doing the interviews with you, um, both in written and in doing this, this podcast have been extremely cathartic and helpful. And so I'm grateful for that. Well, I'm grateful for it too. What else do you want to tell us about your sister or, or her story? What, 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 are you, what are your closing comments that we haven't spoken on? I guess uh, just to reiterate uh, the the courage, her fearlessness, her bravery in going and trying to get to her dream, selling everything here in the U.S. and bringing very little with her to the U.K. on her way to Israel. That's that's worth. Um, I don't know how many of us would have done that. I don't know how many of us would leave everything behind to go to a call that you believe God was calling. And she felt very led to go um, share Jesus with the Jewish people. And 
that's profound. I marveled at that, that she was willing to leave her job, her federal job, walk away from her federal job, walk away from her pension, walk away from her family, her friends, and her life here in the U.S. with the intention, purpose intention, never to return because she had her goal in mind. She said her, her face yeah. like, and um, I would say one thing that, so I guess that I would say that about her fearlessness. She was courageous. And one, one poem, I think I've told you that before, there's something that I found out when I went over uh, another tragic thing. I had to go over there and clean out her, her flat in England. And I remember going into her flat and flying in. This was only like two months after everything happened, which was extremely emotional and trying to gather up her things and do all that. But I remember uh, a poem that she had, a piece of a poem that she had on her refrigerator, which I thought was, was, I didn't even understand. I remember talking about it before she moved and I just couldn't embrace that poem. It was so deep and it was by Minnie Louise Haskins. And it says, um, go out into the darkness. And God said, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light and safer than a known way. And that's exactly what she did. She left everything. God, And she went out into the darkness and put her hand in the hand of God. And there was a, it was better to her to be in the hand of God than to have light and have a safe way in a known way. You're reading that. Are you reading it from what was on her refrigerator or something that you transcribed? Uh, but this is actually the exact, um, the exact verse that she had on her refrigerator. So the said, actual I, piece of paper. I had the little piece of paper. I need to find it. I was thinking about that the other day, but I had the, those were the exact words she cut out. In like a little cloud, in a cloud, she surrounded those words and it was on her refrigerator. I remember her talking about that poem and how much that poem meant to her back in Virginia before she moved. And it actually, and I think I've written about that actually kind of, I, I drew back when I read that poem. I was like, whoa, that's deep. I don't know if I can do that. And I didn't know, you know, and I knew she was preparing to move and all that at the time. But I didn't have that same fearlessness that she had to do what she did. And she actually walked that out. And um, her love of God, her love of Christ and enabled and empowered her to do that. And I think that's just amazing. I don't know how many people would choose to select that part of a poem. Yeah. And, and say that that's what she believed and she walked that out. She walked out her faith and she trusted Thank God. Thank you for sharing that. I, I, as we started at the outset, um, I think the main reason, part of the reason, but the main reason is to remember your sister. You're the only one who among the two of us who knew actually knew her. And, and I suspect most people listening, except the people that you'll share this with didn't know her, but I'm glad that we're able to remember her and, 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 and keep, keep her memory and her legacy alive despite her tragic death. Yes. Um, Kathleen. We've been talking about having a conversation like this for a while. We've we've not had it for a whole lot of reasons. I'm I, I don't think it was probably as difficult as you imagined it might have been because ultimately it is just a conversation between us as good friends. And I'm great, but I'm grateful for you sharing, taking this time, and and especially at this season when uh, we should be remembering her all the time, but. But if only, uh, if only on her birthday and, and, and the day in which she was tragically killed. Thank you. Thank you for 
taking the time and sharing your heart and, and uh, the deep emotions that surround that. Thank you for having me. And it was a privilege and it was uh, healing. And I'm grateful that my whole goal was to be able to honor her and glorify God. And I believe, I pray that that was so. We've done that. Yes, we've done that. For everyone who's uh, continued to stay with us, if you've been following Inspiration from Zion this year, you know that every episode we give, every month rather, we give away a uh, special book. We call it From Jonathan's Bookshelf. And actually, I'm sitting here looking at my bookshelf. I've got a copy of a fabulous book. And actually, it's really appropriate this month because it's called Future Tense by uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who died recently, but was the former chief rabbi of the of uh, England. And um, the fact that your sister spent a whole lot of time there as kind of a jumping off place from which to come visit um, and had such a passion for Israel and the Jewish people, I think is very special. So all we ask people to do when you're listening now, right after you're done listening, to my comments, I want you to share this, uh, the, the link to this through our social media. And when you do that, we're going to pick one person at random to receive this copy that's sitting here right on my desk. It's a beautiful blue and white, uh, bound book. So I look forward to you doing that and next month picking the winner. We're grateful that this podcast is sponsored by our friends at the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. If you're ever in the area and need something, please uh, go pop in or certainly minimally go say hi and thank them for making programs like this possible. And also special thanks to the Coin family for their meaningful sponsorship. Inspiration from Zion and all the Genesis 123 Foundation programs are sponsored and made possible by donations. So please consider joining us to help continue the dialogue and building bridges between Jews and Christians. This episode, of course is sponsored in memory of Christine. Um, and we pray that we pray that we will honor her memory and through that, everything that she did in her life. If you'd like to sponsor a future episode in honor or memory of a loved one or special occasion, please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. As always, we'd love to hear your comments as part of a dialogue and invite you to send any questions as well, especially questions about traditional Judaism for our Ask the Rabbi programs. Please share this with others who will also find it of interest and continue to join us right here as we bring you more meaningful conversations about unique topics relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and your loved ones are safe and healthy and send my blessings from right here in the Judean mountains. God bless you. Thank you.